This is Transistor.fm. Hey everyone, welcome to Build Your SaaS. This is the behind-the-scenes story of building a web app in 2018. I'm John Buda, a software engineer. And I'm Justin Jackson. I'm a product and marketing guy. Follow along as we build Transistor.fm and Spots.fm. I, I feel like we've got to change. I almost feel like we need to change that, that, uh, that intro to um, follow along as we build stuff. <laughs> SaaS together or a web app together yeah. or because the the whole point is that and actually this would be a good topic for a future show but I have this theory that I think that you should keep your core product the core product and if you have anything you know you want to add like a big new feature if that can be a product unto itself I think you should make it a different product yeah what do you think I think that's a good that's a good point, especially with spots. Yeah. Which, you know, we haven't built it. You have a prototype. Mm-hmm. We talk about it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> One day we'll build it. Yeah. We've so much is going on with Transistor, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We had an episode, three or four episodes back, called The Opposite of Board Money. So if you go to sass.transistor.fm slash 22, you'll see that episode. And then I turned it into an article on indie hackers. It, you always hate to see this as a blogger. When you post it on your site, it gets some attention. And then you post it somewhere else and it gets like way more attention. And so this thing was all over the place. Um, but the comments were great. And there was a lot of commentary on Twitter as well. And so I thought we would go through some of that stuff together and uh, you know, just maybe share some of these other points of view. Um, And, you know, I think one kind of characteristic of our show is that we are fine with being dummies in public. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're live right now in public. We're live right now in public. And that, you know, learning something together or just even being open to learning is is kind of uh, a cornerstone, I think, of our this transistor values document that we're kind of creating as we go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, none of us, neither of us have the answers. I don't think we, hopefully we're not trying to come across as knowing, knowing exactly how to do this thing. Yeah. I mean, that is my, that is my natural um, propensity, is to want to seem like I've got it all together and that I've got the answers, but... Yeah. yeah, everyone does, and no one, and nobody actually does. <laughs> nobody actually does. <laughs> that that's the beauty. That's the beauty. Um, oh, and by the way, I just want to mention actually because along this idea of feedback, because some of this feedback, it's not quite harsh, but it's it's pretty blunt. But I wanted to mention that I got this incredible bit of feedback from Tyler Tringus. Basically, what he said is he's like, not sure why, but I woke up with some ideas for Transistor, and I made a screencast. Because that's what one does these days, right? Anyways, no obligation to listen to me babble, but it's here if it's useful. And I just want to just highlight that there's a lot of folks since we've launched that have tried to get phone calls with us. And that's fine if you want a phone call, but this just felt like such a gift that he was recording a video of himself and I didn't have to jump on a call 
and I could just watch it and be like, oh, okay. And now I want to jump on a call with him because he's given me a context and a background for what he wants to talk about. Yeah, that's really, that's awesome. That's really generous of him and of his time and mm-hmm. of his thoughts. Well, I, I later tweeted, I just, I think one of the, the things that's so incredible about, I think specifically the bootstrapping culture is that we've been really open and willing to share knowledge, willing to give advice, willing to, you know, pay it forward, pay it backward. What, you know, you know, there's, there's folks that are really eager and to help and actually even more so are gunning for us, not gunning for us, are, that's the wrong word, right? They're rooting, rooting, rooting for, us? for us. Yeah. Gunning for us would be trying to, yeah, destroy us. <laughs> there's probably people who are doing I that mean, there's too. People trying to destroy us, but the, but they're rooting for us. And uh-huh. you know what we didn't mention last time? We got our first Patreon sponsor. Oh yeah, we did. We have a secret Patreon. Actually, if you folks can find this, folks that are listening to Build Your SaaS, if you can find our Patreon link, because we quietly rolled this out and didn't tell anybody about it, and all of a sudden we had someone supporting us $10 a month. (laughs) And for most Transistor customers, if they had two of those, they would uh, pay for their account. Yeah. That feature isn't live in Overcast yet, is it? No. He made a big, it's, it's live in Anchor. I wonder if Marco mentioned that and then wanted, he just wanted some people, wanted to give some heads up and have them develop it. Yeah. Well, build it well I think he's going to do, I think his, I think his development cycles are just a lot slower. Yeah. Um, anyway, so back to the topic at hand. Uh, so I thought we would go through some of these reactions. So before we go into the reactions, do you want to clarify what? your thinking is on the term bootstrapping. I think there's a lot of... Well, and this was kind of the the whole reason for the article was like bootstrapping. So bootstrapping means self-funding your business from revenues, or at least that's one definition. Uh, mm-hmm. It's basic, it For most folks, it means not taking venture capital, not taking angel funding. It's a little bit of a, a religion. And so like many religions, it has different people have different definitions of what fits in, right? Right. Some people say you can't even take money from friends and family. Then you've taken investment and you're no longer a part of the bootstrappers club. Some folks say, you know, it's it's trying to start something small and without a lot of cost and validating that there's really a business there and then just um, you know, in, as you increase cash flows, you put that money you earn from customers back in the business. You keep doing that over and over and over again until you get to a sustainable level, and then you start paying yourself. Do you think that's pretty clear? Yeah, that's what that's what I. Yeah. Anyone in the live chat have anything a, a different definition? Let us know. That's how I feel about it. So that's kind of the definition, and the poster children, the poster child for bootstrapping, I think for most folks is Basecamp. Yeah. Um, I can't think of another, what's, I mean, they were, they were the ones that really popularized the term as far as I know. Yeah. They, I mean, I think they were the first ones that I became aware of anyway. They've definitely been the most vocal when they wrote, uh, getting real, which was their first book. A lot of people don't know about getting real. Uh, this is, this is the book that, that, 
like blew my mind. I, I read it in uh, 2008 and it's called the, Getting Real, The Smarter, Faster, Easier Way to Build a Successful Web Application. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the cornerstone of that book was build less, fund it yourself, the, less mass, lower your cost of change. These are all just titles from the book. It's a series of essays. And, you know, a lot of people in the software business read this and it kind of became their business Bible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if it was more or less a reaction, well, unintentionally a reaction to like the dot-com bubble that burst in yeah. 2000 and sort of, you know, just a rethinking of that, of how to build a business online. That's actually really good context because there's always context for all these things that emerge. Yeah. And yeah, the context was, so they launched Basecamp in 2004, but the dot-com bubble was in 2001? Uh, yeah, 2000. 99, 2000, I yeah. think. Maybe 2001. Yeah, I think, it, I think it really kind of came, yeah, roughly from 95 to 2000 was the, the period of... But I think it took a while for it to get... It took a while for it to recover. Yeah. Because I couldn't... I had a hard time finding work during that time. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Because, you know, I was, I was a, you know, I was a geeky kid... But once I graduated from college, uh, instead of going into computers, I went into the snowboard industry. Okay. And so I kind of missed this. Um, what? Yeah. Well, I was. I mean, I was in school when it happened. But I had I had an internship in in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in my co- college town, for a summer. At this, um, it was like an advertising firm, um, digital. I mean, it was basically an agency to some extent, mm-hmm. but they did a lot of custom applications. And during the height of it, they, you know, moved downtown, built this amazing new office. And then I think within a year, they were out of business because they just lost all their clients. Okay. So they weren't venture backed, but they, all their clients just dried up. And I don't think that company exists anymore. And then, after I graduated, I mean, this is 2003. Google is still super new. I mean, it's three years old at that point, maybe. Okay. I don't know. I forget exactly the timeline. But this is, you know, after the dot-com bust and all these companies that had venture capital just went out of business because they weren't actually making any money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as far as finding work in web design and programming, like it was, there wasn't much. I mean... I looked around and there were like a handful of companies, but nobody was hiring. There were small agencies that kind of were started, I don't know, through friends or something like that. But there weren't these, there weren't big companies that you see these days, you know, hiring people out of college. Yeah. It's like your your options were like Microsoft or Google or not even Apple at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was interesting. So I just went off and did my own thing and started started building websites for people and made no money. <laughs> and was it like, was there a feeling of, it's just hard to make money, it's hard to make a living doing this computer thing? Yeah, but you could see, I think you could see the light at the end of the tunnel. Like you, this was the beginning of like this uh, web standards movement and you could see these people who were who were gaining popularity and kind of paving the way for something, which was kind of a fascinating time to be involved in. It's a lot of a lot of people teaching and 
teaching these new technologies and um, writing books online and and it was a pretty small community at that point, but you could see you could see the uh, you could see where it could go. I think. Yeah. Well, and within that context, that's when you know you know Basecamp is a design agency at this point. They started getting you know quite a bit of attention for their blog Signal versus Noise, and they decide to launch this new application called Basecamp in 2004. And, you know, things were still kind of, it was like web stuff, like Salesforce had just kind of launched around that time, but it was unclear whether this was going to work. And Salesforce had gone the traditional route and had raised a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And so 37 Signals launches Basecamp and it gets a lot of attention. It starts, you know, off the bat, it's it's doing pretty good. And then they write this really opinionated book called Getting Real, which is all about basically saying whatever Salesforce just did, don't do that. You're, you've, you've <laughs> got to bootstrap it. You've got to make it yeah. simple. Yeah. When, when, I, when I became aware of Basecamp, I mean, it, the light kind of went off when you sort of did some back of the napkin math and you were like, well, they're selling this for, I don't remember what they started at. They had multiple plans, right? 10, 20, 50 bucks a month. And then you and you multiplied that by, you know, a thousand customers or 10,000 customers. And you were like, wow, this is yes. Like they can make this work pretty easily. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, uh, I don't know if you've ever like, I always keep solver open on my, my machine. Um, Mm -hmm. the, uh, it's like, just like a math app. And so I'll always be like, okay, $39 times a thousand or sorry, times a hundred. Well, that's already thirty nine hundred dollars a month. And then if you have a ninety nine dollar plan and you get twenty people, well, now you're already up to almost six thousand dollars a month. And then if you decide, oh, you know what, I'm going to add a forty nine dollar plan in there too, and you get, and this is all just make believe money, right? But you can start to see how it can all add up. And um, yeah, I think a lot of people were kind of doing that. They were like, yeah, I think so. And they were, you know, they were seeing how it could be sustainable. Yes. So that, that's the background. The one thing I talk about in this episode and in this blog post, which is called uh, Bootstrappers, Bootstrappers Paradox, is that that story that we've been telling ourselves is not entirely correct because Basecamp launched in 2004, stopped taking clients in 2005, and then, but we're still serving clients, right? They were still doing some consulting. And then in 2006, they did something that a lot of people have ignored, which is Jeff Bezos bought shares from each of them personally. And DHH has this article called The Day I Became a Millionaire. Because we don't really, we don't, they, they, they haven't publicized what that deal was. But right. the day I became a millionaire is the day that Jeff Bezos bought some shares from him. Because it valued the company at a certain amount or whatever. That's right. And so that changes things quite a bit in terms of, uh, and the reason I say it changes things, it's a lot of people in this bootstrapping religion have said, Nope, this is how you do it. You start, you know, we've got all these cheap platform as a service things we can use like AWS and it's so much cheaper to start a 
a web company now and all you have to do is you just evenings and weekends, you just build this thing, you get some customers and then from your profits, you build it up and then you've got a business just like 37 signals. Right. <laughs> but the truth is that's not what they did. Right. And that's not to say that that purest form of bootstrapping can't work, but I just thought it was interesting because I think part of our tension is that uh, I'm self-employed and so I don't have any kind of insurance money. I have to make a living from whatever businesses I'm doing. And so part of that is Mega Maker. And, you know, that's been giving me a pretty good living in the past couple of years. Now that I'm focusing so much more on Transistor, I'm kind of feeling like, man, I wish, I just wish we had 100, 200, 300 grand in the bank so we could, right. you know, focus on this. Yeah. And whether or not Basecamp needed to do that at the time, I don't know if, I don't know if they really needed the money, but it certainly eased their anxieties, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. The, well, can, can you imagine like, I, and we've played this game before, especially in that scenario, because this is not an investor that's, that's going to be like on the board or an investor that's looking for a 10x return. Bezos bought those shares and he was just interested in supporting these guys. <laughs> so right. it's play money for him. He's like, yeah, let's, uh, I, I want to buy, you know, whatever it was. It, it might have been 0.005% of the company. <laughs> and he's just like, I just want to, it was probably, I'm guessing one to 5% or something. I don't know. You know, and let's just say, you know, maybe they're doing super good and they're doing a couple million dollars in revenue by that point. If you've got, I mean, they had a team of five, seven people or something. $2 million is pretty good, but it's not like that's, you're not in the clear at that point, even with $2 million in revenue. Right. You know, seven people at a hundred grand each. I, I mean, who knows what they, if that's what they're spending, but that's 700 grand. And then other, you know, expenses on top of that usually add 30% per employee. So yep. let's say their costs were 910,000 a year. So, you know, maybe they were clearing a million at that point every year, but it, nothing was certain. And then Bezos comes along and says, you know, how would you fellas like to take some money off the table? <laughs> now, to be fair, we actually did get some response after I wrote this article and we haven't responded to any of these, <laughs> but I'd say two or three people came out of the woodwork and said, you know, we're not Bezos level money, but we might be interested in doing something similar. Yeah, yeah we haven't really talked to anyone yet. We could. We could. I think one thing that's holding me back is it's like, it's really it's nothing against these people because it seems very generous that they even want to talk to us. But when you're in our position, your time is so precious and there are so many people that want to jump on the phone with us. And it really is hard to pick and choose what like, yeah, it is. It, yeah. Even replying and then setting up a call and all this stuff takes time. And even, even recording this call today. Yeah. Like I obviously love talking to you, but I, I haven't gotten much done on transistor this week. Yeah. Right. So like this is an hour and a half that I'm not working on it. <laughs> You're just evaluating the value of this right now. You're like, hmm, I yeah. don't know. <laughs> but no, I mean, it's, it's obviously valuable. Um. <laughs> good catch. Good catch. 
Yep. By the way, you folks on uh, Periscope that are giving us all these hearts, I love that. I, I see the hearts. Thanks for giving us the hearts. Those are great. Um, yeah, we got... Oh, this is... I just want to mention this. This person here on Twitch was like... The, the Twitch name is Official Fasten. says, this is so random. I'm a big fan of Art of Product, Build Your SaaS, and Startups for the Rest of Us. So those are all podcasts, and ours is in there, obviously. And then he says, I was browsing Twitch before bed, and I found this. <laughs> so he, he was just like on Twitch, and he's, and he's like, what the heck? Build Your SaaS is live? Okay, well. Wow. Okay, so that's the background. And I just thought that was interesting, that the poster child for bootstrapping, the pure form of bootstrapping, took this money and what that would have meant. And so... Another kind of keystone of the of the post is this, um, and I'll show it on screen here for those folks at home. But is I used forecast.barometrics.com to figure out, you know, okay, and actually maybe I'll just do this live because there's a couple ways of doing this. I'll show you the first way I did it, and then so our starting MRR right now. I think we're almost at 1,200, 1,175. Yeah, let's just use that one. So 1,175. I initially calculated it using this exponential growth type. You can choose linear, which means, you know, how much revenue are you going to add each month? Or you can, add, or you can do it uh, exponentially. I, initially, I said, well, if we start at, you know, whatever, 1,175 a month, and we grow 10% a month, how long will it take for us to get to $20,000 a month? And I chose 20,000 because that roughly feels like the time where you and I could both focus on this full time. Yeah. And using that model, it would take, okay, see, if we start at 1,175 a month, it would take you can't go past 60 months. <laughs> it won't let me go past it won't let me go past 60 months. But, you know, in the original calculation, it was like it's going to be at least 60 months, 5 years before we even get to the point where we can do this, right? Right. Yeah, so that was I included that in the post and then we had some some commentary. So, one something one person said, Natalie from Wildbit, who I think is incredible, she says, um, I think you're highly underestimating those numbers. You should see a much better, faster growth rate in the early days. 10% off 1500 a month is a $15 plan. So hopefully you'll charge more, have more customers. I would argue five years to $21,000 is not something worth pursuing at all. What do you, what do you think about that? That's pretty. Uh, that's a pretty blunt statement. <laughs> I mean, so she's saying she's saying she thinks it'll it'll grow faster than that. Yeah, she thinks because of the early days, and if it actually took five years to get there, it's not even worth. Yeah, doing it. Yeah, she's saying two things. One, she's saying I think if you fellas are doing things right, and you have a product that you know is worth pursuing, it's going to grow faster than that. And number two. She's saying, if there's a product that you're working on that's going to take you five years to get to $21,000 in MRR, it's probably not worth pursuing. 
pretty pretty blunt, but again, yeah. I appreciated it because I think you know, I want pe- I don't want people to sugarcoat things to us. I want to know the real truth, right? We're not right. living in a fantasy world. This is our our real life. The other thing that Josh Pigford mentioned, so Josh is the one that built this forecasting tool. In the comments, he said, there's a few other things you can do. So he said, if you do nothing else except reduce churn from 5% down to 3% in that scenario I just presented, your runway to hitting $21,000 in MRR goes from 60 months down to 40. So hmm. the problem with all this like what if math is it's pretty easy to change numbers around. But it's, it's actionable items where you can try to think of ideas of, of reducing churn. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you do that? Do you offer discounts? I, I, I haven't really thought about it, but yeah, I'm sure there are ways. Yeah, exactly. And he says another suggestion is to use linear growth instead of exponential, as it's a number that's realistically attainable long term and gives you a much better estimate of where you could be in the next 12 to 24 months. So let's play that game. All right. Let's go back to the forecast tool and... I'm going to switch it from exponential growth, which says, you know, every month we're going to add 10% to linear. And the the growth curve looks a lot different here. So starting MRR, $1,175. Let's say we could add, well, let's, first of all, let's say $500 a month. If we added $500 a month, how, how far would we get in, let's say 24 months. Let's always say two years uh, and with 5% churn. Well, in that case, 24 months, we would be at $7,423 in two years. Whatever. Okay, that's, yeah, kind of interesting, whatever. Uh, Let's say we can, let's go up again. Let's say we could hit $1,000 in new MRR every month. Well, in 24 months, we would be at $14,000 per month. We're getting pretty close there. That's like, okay, in two years... So that's including churn because well, if it's thousand dollars of new revenue every mm-hmm. month, wouldn't that be twenty four thousand? That's inc- that's including, that's including churn. churn of five percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's do it again with fifteen hundred dollars growth per month. Well, in two years we would be at twenty one thousand five hundred eighty three dollars per month. Again, these are all just games I'm playing, but um, you know, if we wanted to hit. In a year, we wanted to get to, let's say, you know what, no matter what, we've got to hit, you know, $20,000 in a year. Then we would need to grow, add $2,100 of new revenue every month. Yeah, that's that's a lot. Now, yeah, that that could be quite a bit, but it it gives, the, the nice thing about playing the what if game is you get a sense of, the different paths available to you. Right. And it helps you to be realistic. We know, you know, if we kind of keep trucking along at what we're doing right now, I think reasonably it'll probably take us five years. Mm -hmm. But if we say, okay, well, good work, boys. You you, You launched, you've got some customers, good work, but that's not enough. You, you're going to have to do more if you're going to hit some targets. Well, I think it's where a couple things come in. Obviously, we have to do more outreach, more advertising, mm-hmm. whatever that may be. But also, I think that's where our other ideas might come in. Mm-hmm. You know, complementary apps that make that also make money. Yeah, which is obviously a lot more work. Mm-hmm. 
But if it's a different audience, you know, you can sort of grow them separately. Yeah. Even if they're somewhat connected. Yeah, exactly. And I think our other thought with that play is that if there is one that's maybe not growing as fast, we can sell it too. It becomes an asset that's saleable. I think we know, we knew going into this, and I think we've talked about it a few times on the show, we, we never really expected Transistor to be like this out of the gates, massive hit hockey stick growth because it's you have to want to switch or you have to have a show you want to start. That's right. And then stick with it. Yes. For a while. So Yeah. I think I think we're right in that. I think we're right in assuming that. Yeah. Just have to keep that in mind as we try to figure out how to get new customers. Yeah, exactly. Here's two things we're considering for transistor that I think we can share. The first, we don't have to go into details on this. But we launched with these plans, and if you um, if you haven't listened to our episodes on choosing pricing, we've got a series on that, and they're really good about how we arrived at. Um, basically, we have three plans: nineteen dollars, forty nine dollars, and ninety nine dollars a month, and they are all based around number of downloads per month: five thousand. 15,000 and 45,000 respectively. We needed a place to start and so that's where we started, right? Mm-hmm. But one thing now we've got real data about people who have wanted to switch, real data about people who did switch. And that might be something we can play with, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we've had a mild concern from potential customers who I think are coming from platforms where they pay one price for unlimited. Mhm. But it might be one price per show, whereas we offer limited shows. So it's yeah. But they have they might come with this massively popular show and be like, wow, that's going to really is the benefit really there for me to switch for you know x amount of dollars extra a month? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What would our show show be? By the way, we would be in April. We had eleven thousand six hundred downloads. May we had ten thousand. June we had almost 9,000. So we're going down. July we had, well, July we went back up, 9,241. Yeah. And August, we still have a chance of breaking the record. Uh, Folks, please share the podcast so we get more downloads. We're at (laughs) 8,266 right now. Okay. And so we would be, yeah, we would still be in starter, but we would be trending towards the middle plan, which is 15,000 downloads. But, I mean, if we add another show that goes crazy, then, you know. And I think the thing is, podcasting, it really depends on your audience and your show. Some shows get so many downloads that, you know, like I've got friends that are like, I want to switch to you, but I'm doing 20,000 downloads. Uh, I have a friend that's saying I'm doing 90,000 downloads per month. We want to be able to serve some of these folks and and it's tricky. Right. Yep. So that's one thing we're thinking about is switching our pricing. And I was just imagining what would it be like if all of a sudden it was just a no brainer. It's like you've got three shows on another platform, but you're paying per show. So let's say, you know, let's say you're paying $15 per month per show, but you've got three shows. Well, now that's 45 bucks. Imagine if it was like, you can have unlimited show. And every time you think about starting another show, you're like, oh, I can't because it'll cost me more yeah, money. 15 bucks. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be popular. Yeah. But imagine if you're, and let's say you're doing, you know, between the three shows you've got, you're doing 15,000 downloads. 
and you're like, oh, I want to add another show. If the, if our ranges, our download ranges were like, oh, I get unlimited shows plus this many downloads per month. And it was just a big enough number that people were like, okay, no brainer. I'm switching. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what I, the feel I want. I want people to right. feel like, okay. And if someone does have a crazy show, like a 80,000 downloader, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> An 80,000 downloader. The mythical 80,000 downloader. Um, you know, if you've got a show that's doing 80,000 downloads, <laughs> the I want it to be, it, you know, maybe you're only paying less, maybe you're paying whatever, but you want our features, you want our analytics, you want our stuff. And so you're like, okay, I'll go to the $99 plan. It'll give me all the downloads I want. Plus, I'll be able to add new shows. Plus, I get all of the other benefits mm-hmm. that we're adding. And in that $99 tier, we might start saying, you know, this is just for the $99 folks. So that's one thing we could do, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of room to play, I think, with the pricing. The other thing we could do, let's see if I can do some live coding on our website right now. You know, we've got a menu that says, you know, here's your dashboard. Here's the episodes where you add episodes, analytics. We have a team section where you can add. This is something a lot of people don't know is you can add. Theoretically, if you were a podcast network and you wanted to, you know, just put a bunch of shows under your transistor account, you could do that because each show you create, you can add people with their own logins to that show. So a really kind of powerful use case there if you are, um, you know, you're thinking about creating a show. But I'm just going to add a new item here. I'm going to see if I can do this live. Uh, Oh, and then we have a a menu called social and apps. And then we have an item called website. So if you want us to host your website. But we've been wanting to add a new one called, either called ads or promotions or something like that. I'm just going to call it promotions for right now. And so... In that menu, we want to add some things, and this might be a good gateway to spots, Yeah, is being able to um, do two things that I think are going to be super powerful. Number one, say this person has sponsored this episode, so logo, link, all that stuff. And we're gonna, we've got some cool ideas for some things there. Another idea that we had is the ability to Um, choose a bunch of episodes and say, I want to automatically insert some audio at the beginning of these episodes just for this promotion. And so they can upload a 30 second clip. We back up their old file. We automatically prepend the new 30 second audio clip. And it's something like... um, Folks, Justin Jackson here, and just want to let you know about our Transistor Mega Mega Summer Sale. Go to transistor.fm slash sale. And that just inserts at the beginning of the of the episode during that promotion. September 21st comes along. I think that's the end of summer. That comes along, and then we go, oh, okay, promotion's over. All you have to do is click promotion done, and our system automatically reverts all those episodes back to where they were. Yep. So I think that might be something we could add soonish um, as a gateway to spots even. Because uh, I don't want to build spots, which is going to be our ad platform, a separate app, and not have all of kind of the the stuff that we want to be able to pipe into Transistor from spots. It'd be good to have that figured out beforehand. Right. Yeah. What do you think about that idea? <laughs> That's a good idea. Just go with that. <laughs> 
I like that. That's why we do these calls. I'm going to add that to the list and then ask you a question at the end of the show. Along with that comes the idea from Adam Wavin, which is similar, which is having a placeholder in the show notes for, for promotions. So in the same yeah. way that you can insert audio during a promotion, you can also insert a placeholder in your show notes. And as soon as the promotion's done, whoop, it all you know disappears from you know, maybe a hundred episodes. I think that's a good idea. The one question I have there is, I don't know the answer to this, how often and I guess how do the uh, most podcasting listening apps re-index old RSS feeds and change the show notes, right? I know I know that if the audio is hosted with Transistor, then it's always going to pull the latest audio file from our servers if you haven't downloaded it yet. Uh, show notes, though, is another question. I don't know how often they, they like, re-update you know update things like images and show notes and places like Spotify actually download your audio mm-hmm. and keep it on their servers. Are they going to update their file with the new file yes. with the ad? Or vice versa. This is great. This is a great anyway. question. I, I was going to see if I could, like, figure it out on the fly uh, but Overcast's web app doesn't show complete show notes as far as I can tell. Let me see if I can find... What's the other one? Pod... Uh, pod. What's the other one? Uh, Pocket Casts, because they have a web player. Apple pulls the feed pretty often, and they do change artwork and things like that, but I don't know show notes and things. I'm well, not sure. Well, we can test this because we just did... Um, we just did the... Uh, that that Patreon integration that updated all of our show notes, didn't we? Or is that, was that retroactive or not? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's just see here. I'm going to, I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Yep. Okay. So here, I'll show this on screen for the folks at home, but you know, I'll go back. Our Voltron needs fuel. If you look at the show notes here, support this podcast on Patreon is already live. So I'm guessing that the podcatchers re-index quite often. I think the answer to that question is most of them re-index quite a bit. Like, Yeah, I, I like that idea, though. I think it's a nice in-between um, between a lot of these services that do the uh, like uh, dynamic ad insertion, which can kind of screw with podcast players and stuff. By the way, there's a great episode uh, with Marco Arment on the Wolfden podcast, where he talks about all this stuff. If I'll put it in the show notes, okay. if you haven't, if you folks haven't listened to it yet, definitely do that. I'm just checking on Castbox. Yeah, Castbox also has our Patreon. You okay. know what's interesting on the Castbox web player though? They've disabled all of our links. Huh. What's with these people? Oh, I don't. I've. They don't want you to leave the I've site. I've never even noticed that. They don't, they disable your links. Interesting. So those are uh, a few ideas I had. Anything else we want to talk about this episode? Did you get to say your thing you wanted to ask? No, I didn't. There was one tweet in here that we didn't cover, which was interesting. We don't really have to talk about it long, but it was something about um, things like normal business, traditional business loans not being available for, oh, yeah. for businesses like us. I think Natalie was yeah. talking about that, where she, you know, and, and that's interesting because you can, you know, the way you used to start a business is you go to a bank and be like, I want to start a business. I would need this much money. Can I get a loan? Yeah. Um, and there's no strings attached to that. Obviously, you have to pay it back, but they're not, the bank's not going to be on your board. 
you're not getting a percentage of your company. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, those, that might be an avenue we could mm-hmm. take. I mean, I, I think they are available. Natalie's comment was that they're, they're a lot more difficult to get. Um, and actually, if you click through on that tweet, which I'll, I'll try to include in the show notes, there's a great back and forth between Natalie and Jason Cohen from WP Engine. And then mm-hmm. um, IndyVC gets in there too. Bryce from IndyVC gets in there and says... Um, NDVC got mentioned again, basically. So Jason Cohen says, there are middle ground funds just starting like NDVC. Again, very small in quantity, but perhaps a good solution to the problem of reasonable bootstrapped financing. And then Jason Cohen also says, bank loans would be interesting. Problem is high failure rate and less predictable early on than coffee shop in well-trafficked area. But SaaS is more predictable later. That he's saying, you know, part of the problem is it's it's not like a coffee shop in that at the beginning you can't you know, the the failure rates of a SaaS are much higher. But yeah, there yeah. it is interesting, and I think you know the one thing we haven't talked about yet is this Republic.co, which is kind of a Kickstarter version of funding. A business, right? Like allowing using all of the the crowdfunding stuff to allow people who, with as little as ten dollars to invest in private startups. Hmm. Um, and right. I, this is an interesting idea. Um, so, like Radio Public, for example, who's in the podcasting space, it's a podcast marketplace. They've raised a bunch of money doing this. How much have they raised? They've raised a uh, hundred, well, not a ton, but one hundred and thirty thousand. Um, their goal was twenty five thousand. Hmm. So, one hundred and thirty thousand from three hundred and fourteen investors. It's kind of an interesting idea. Yeah, kind of is. Yeah, they clearly. Uh, this is clearly inspired by Kickstarter, yeah. design yeah, wise. Inspired by Kickstarter <laughs> and using the same legislation. So yeah, this is like, yeah, this is saying like here's, here is one way of doing it um, that we can use the existing legislation, get much smaller investors. And I think the idea is you get paid out. You earn a return if the startup succeeds. So I think that means that you get paid dividends. If this company makes money, then they, they, there's like a pool that they, they put all the money into. Okay. Um, Let's see. Many startups fail in investment, but some start if they get acquired or IPO at a valuation higher than the one time of your investment, you will earn a return. Oh, okay. So maybe this whole idea is that it would only work if you get acquired. Yeah, this is something I think I'd like to look into a bit more, but another interesting model. I the the question I had was for you, what should I work on after this? Or for the or for oh, the yeah. channel. Oh yeah, whoever's for whoever's listening. live. So Here's what I'm. Here's what I was going to work on. Maybe we have a lot of people who have requested markdown support in their show notes, mm. along with HTML. Yeah. So supporting both of those. Um, there is this YouTube integration that I kind of started on that I could work on, mm-hmm. where you can um, OAuth your transistor account to your Google account and auto upload your episodes to YouTube. We will convert it to a video format. Yeah. Um, there is, 
this leaving a voicemail feature we've talked about a few times where you can leave a voicemail for a show within your browser. You can just like record an audio and it would upload it to the uh, show hosts. Yeah. And they could listen to it. There's the thing you just talked about, which we haven't really planned, so I probably shouldn't <laughs> start on that. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's what Seth Louie in the comments says, auto upload to YouTube sounds like a win in his books. Um, yeah. He's probably right. That's that's. I think that the GitHub editor, I mean the GitHub, the Markdown editor is the would be the biggest win for our current users. Yeah, I agree. I think that the YouTube uploader would be the sexiest win for our current users. And I think the voicemail feature would be the sexiest win for non-users, people that are thinking about signing up. Yeah. That one, I think, still needs a little bit of research. but Yeah. So, man, I, I think the YouTube one, because it feels like you could you could get that one out pretty fast. I think so, yeah. That'd be a fun experiment. Yeah. Anyone else? Anyone right. else? Well, after the show, after the recorded show, we'll keep the live chat going for a bit. So if you have ideas on what John should work on, you can post those in the comments right now. Uh, folks, if you're listening on Breaker, please leave us a comment in the comments box. You can also do that on CastBox. Um, and if you haven't yet, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. We, we love those too. And we will see you next Tuesday. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.